The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, Tom Friedman of the New York Times on the scale of the COVID-19 lockdown. You can't say Mother Nature. We, uh, we're having a, a, a recession here. Could you, could you kind of lay off the viruses for a while? Infectious disease specialist Dr. Michael Osterholm. We have to learn how we're going to die with this virus, but also how we're going to live with it. And the tech entrepreneur who put up a billboard in Times Square urging people to stay home. I think the charge for all of us as Americans right now is to decide that the greater good, those with health conditions, weakened immune systems, you know, they are a priority right now. It's Tuesday, March 17th, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. We are coming to you from three separate locations today, doing our own form of social distancing. I'm, I'm not sure when anyone finishes, and I finish, and it, it's like five seconds before anyone responds. I'm like, wow, I said something. Yeah, really we haven't talked. How is this working? Is this working out? Dumbfounded. Is it working out for you guys? I mean, you guys are at home. I'm at the studio, yeah, so I, mean, I have all of the accoutrements, but. You don't. Yeah, I have no one it's, to, you know, to blame we'll when the shock goes it, down. But it's myself. not like the studio. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's you gotta definitely more complicated. Do. I, I don't, you know. Yeah, I'm not whining. I know. Me, I heard you coughing what, what before. Stay are. where you are. First up today on the pod, dealing with dizzying headlines. The Dow lost nearly 3,000 points, or about 13 percent, yesterday, suffering its worst day since the Black Monday crash in 1987. Today, Tuesday, at the open, markets bounced back amid signs of potential fiscal stimulus. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin is reportedly asking Congress for an $850 billion stimulus package to stave off economic calamity. This includes a rescue package of more than $50 billion for the U.S. airline industry. Also breaking overnight, the eight largest American banks announced they would be jointly and voluntarily accessing funding from the Federal Reserve's so-called discount window. That is the short-term lending facility to ensure credit flows throughout the economy. This is in an effort to show their strength in times of turmoil. Here's Andrew. There has long been a stigma with going to that discount window. They're all going to it together. Morgan Stanley, we should note, has been the first bank to go to it. They did so yesterday, uh, but we should not take anything away uh, from that decision. James Gorman, uh, the CEO of Morgan Stanley, also happens to be the chairman of the Financial Services Committee that put this group together that went to do this. Let's bring in Tom Friedman, the well-known book author and New York Times columnist. He's been looking at this from a very broad perspective, a high-level one. Tom, yesterday you said that um, you've been looking at this from 30,000 feet up. What's the view look like from there? Well, Becky, you know, it sort of fits in with what you guys have been talking about. Um, 
we're, we're kind of up against two uh, exponentials. And one of the hardest things for the human mind to grasp is the power of an exponential. What happens when something just keeps doubling and doubling and doubling? So we've got a negative exponential in um, this COVID virus um, that just keeps doubling and doubling and doubling very quietly. Uh, and we still don't know the impact of it. But it, right now, it's like a hurricane that it's actually still offshore. Uh, the eye hasn't even uh, made landfall yet. And so um, I was actually talking to Bill Joy, the, one of the co-founders of Sun Microsystems the other day, and, and just asking him, what, you know, what is a simple way to express the power of this exponential? He said, well, you know, let, let's put it in terms that um, uh, the average businessman could understand. You know, the virus is like a loan shark who charges 25% interest a day. So think of it that we borrowed a dollar. That was the first day the coronavirus appeared, you know, um, patient number one. Then we, we kind of fiddled around for 40 days. Now we owe that loan shark actually $7,500. If we wait three more weeks to repay uh, our loan shark, we're going to owe them almost a million dollars. That's the power of the exponential driving this virus. Now, at the same time, I would argue, there's an exponential that offers us hope. And you've just been talking about it this morning with Regeneron and other companies. And it's the power of Moore's Law. The power of Moore's Law, uh, coined by Gordon Moore in 1965, argued that the speed and power of microchips would double roughly every 24 months. And Moore's Law is alive and well today. And it's what's given us the amazing compute power and technological power that we now have all these companies um, being able to offer possibly, possibly rapid um, uh, both cures and um, uh, vaccines. I don't know how, how rapid. We need to keep our uh, feet you know, firmly grounded here um, because, uh, remember, we still don't have a, a vaccine for HIV or malaria. These are diseases that have been around a long time that many, many people around the world have suffered from. But the power of compute today to rapidly um, uh, you know, give us the kinds of um, uh, cures or therapies we need um, I'm a huge believer of it, you know, and again, to express the power of that exponential on the upside, um, several years ago, I was out actually to Intel, and I was asking them, you know, what's an example of how Moore's Law works on the upside? And Intel had actually asked its engineers once to take a 1971 Volkswagen Beetle and, and try to guess if that Volkswagen Beetle had improved at the same rate microchips had since 1971, what would it, what would it look like today? And they calculated that if that if that were the case, that Beetle today, that Volkswagen Beetle would go 300,000 miles an hour, it would get 2 million miles <laughs> per gallon, and it would cost you 4 cents to buy. You'd be able to drive it your entire life on a single tank of gas. So that's the other exponential we, we have here. And what I see, the story from 30,000 feet, we've got a race between these two exponentials. Basically, the exponential spread of a, of a viral epidemic and the, the exponential power of compute. And um, the thing that will, uh, I think, save us, though, the key metric, I'm only looking at one number. It's not the Fed. It's not the 10-year. It's the number of uh, patients, um, uh, uh, the ratio of patients per beds um, and ICU units. You know? And can we keep uh, uh, and you had a wonderful graph on this morning. Can we keep the number of patients at the peak here below the number of beds and ICU units um, so that uh, we don't get social disorder? Th that's what I'm most worried right. about, that, I, that you get a runaway Tom, there. I, I, and uh, So that's how I see it. 
I love the compound interest and, and sort of exponential things. And that's something that does make sense to many people in our audience because of compound interesting and what they watch with the markets. Let, let's talk, though, about the response that we've been watching from authorities, because I have to say last week, even this weekend, I was concerned that they weren't doing enough. It seemed to me that there was a decisive tone shift yesterday from the Trump administration, taking this uh, much more serious, hardcore look at this, and from a lot of the state governments, too, that have been taking much more extreme steps to try and shut this down, including what uh, Governor DeWine did in Ohio of, of, of overruling that judge and saying, forget it, we're not going to open the polls today. Well, you know, thank God for that. I, I still wish the president would even take a, a more urgent tone. I mean, you know, we had some very irresponsible lawmakers, the governor of Oklahoma, Devin Nunes, over the weekend, you know, uh, tweeting about how they were in restaurants and, and uh, everyone should come on out. Yeah, you know, right. uh, that, that was insane, basically. Um, uh, you, you cannot um, social distance fast enough right now when you're up against this kind of exponential to prevent it from running out of control. And, and the beauty of America, we have this federal system where mayors and governors can act. You, you, you've been having these people on, and I think they've acted very responsibly. In, I don't know if it's in the nick of time or near the nick of time. Um, that uh, I, I think it's giving us a chance, at least, uh, for, the, for the good exponential in technology um, to win this race. Hey, Tom, uh, I wanted to ask you about the, the political morass of bailouts and the moment we're in, given that the airlines are now going hat in hand, and I have to imagine there's going to be lots of other industries and lots of conversation about this. We saw the aftermath of the bailouts in 2008, which may very well have worked, but politically clearly did not, and we're still living with it. How do you see it playing out this time? Well, you know, um, let's just talk about the underlying structure. We, and, and, and Neil Kashkari you know, was alluding to this this morning. There are millions of owners and employers out there today who are long some asset, uh, some asset they assume would go up in value. It could be a stock, a company, a home, a restaurant, a convenience store. And they're long that asset with borrowed money, uh, money they can't now repay or not going to be able to very shortly. Uh, so we not, not only need the Fed to backstop their banks to prevent a, a total meltdown, uh, we're going to need these banks to restructure these debts, um, and we're going to need to get fresh money into the pockets uh, of their workers so they can eat after their last paycheck um, comes in the mail this week. Uh, so I'm, I'm totally um, uh, in, um, in alignment with those who say, you know, write every American a check, um, uh, backstop everybody. Um, We'll let Andrew um, Ross Sorkin write another fantastic book, as he did uh, about the bailout you know, in 2008, and we can argue about that later. But you have to protect the system, because without the system, if the system starts to crack, there's, there's not going to be any debate about anything. Do you think this time is different insofar as a lot of people looked at that crisis as a man-made crisis? Do you think people treat this like a 9-11 um, you know, like a Katrina, like a some, something more in a natural disaster category. And so the public, again, this goes to the larger sort of social issues. People talk about inequality in this country and, 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 and the, 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 the having uh, of, of what's taking place here. Do, pe do people, you think, accept that in a way that they might not have um, a little over a decade ago? Um, I do. And I think that, again, um, I, I, I really feel that. Um, and I think that um, you know, two things really impact me, Andrew. One is that um, my initial journalism experience in life um, was living inside a civil war in Lebanon, 1979 to 1984, you know, uh, for most of that time. I, saw, I actually saw society break down. 
Um, I, one, of my, one of the most searing experiences I had as a journalist was watching a car basically going 50 miles an hour backward down a street uh, to get rid of, uh, to get away from fighting. Um, people in America are so innocent and naive um, uh, about how thin is the veneer of civilization once the system breaks. And they're also naive about what we're, ep- what, what, what we're up against. We're up against Mother Nature here, okay, the downsides of Mother Nature, the spread of viruses. You know, one of my real teachers and friend, Rob Watson, who, who invented green buildings, Rob likes to say, you know, um, you know, Mother Nature is just chemistry, biology, and physics. That's all she is. You can't talk her up. You can't talk her down. You can't say, Mother Nature, we, um, we're having a, a, a recession here. Could you, could you kind of lay off the viruses for a while? She's going to do whatever chemistry, biology, and physics dictate. And Mother Nature always bats last, and she always bats a thousand. Do not mess with Mother Nature. And that's what we're up against. This is different than 2008. This is different from anything we have experienced. We're up against this relentless exponential force. And in the face of that, we have to take extraordinary measures to protect the system um, because that is what is potentially at stake. Hey, Tom, on that cherry note, we're going to leave it there, but we will talk to you again soon. <laughs> Sorry. Thank you, guys. No, thank you. Cheese will be next. Squawk Box returns from New York, NASDAQ, the Kernan household, the Quick household. Infectious disease specialist Dr. Michael Osterholm warns that coronavirus concerns could be with us for quite a while. There's a tremendous misconception about bending the curve. This virus is likely going to be here until we have a vaccine. You've got to say 18 months. Squawk Pod, back after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Joe Kernan. Breaking drug news uh, this morning. Regeneron says it has identified antibodies uh, to treat the coronavirus. Pfizer is teaming up uh, with a biotech or BioNTech in Germany to develop a possible vaccine against the virus. This is the, uh, the clinical news we're hearing this morning or the research news. Meg Terrell uh, joins us on the news line. So this, this, uh, the Regeneron doesn't seem that it, it doesn't seem like a big leap. You, you get some, uh, some antibodies and they, they, from mice and they fully humanize, which we've been doing for years now. They humanize the antibodies so that there's no uh, um, uh, immune response. And this seems to work. I mean, they're, they're, this is very promising in your view, Meg. Yes, Joe. I mean, they have four approved drugs using this technology already for things like high cholesterol, rheumatoid arthritis. Um, other maladies. Um, so they've used this uh, technology successfully a number of times. And, you know, what's actually kind of crazy about the way they do this is they've created mice. Uh, they've genetically engineered them to have human immune systems. So then what they do is expose the mice to the proteins that they want them to generate an immune response against. So in the, the case of the virus, a part of the virus, 
And the mice develop these human antibodies, and then they choose the best one to develop into medicines. And so this could potentially be both protective if you give it an advance of infection and potentially treat the infection. Um, But it is still in early testing right now. It's not even in people yet, but the news this morning is that they aim to start human clinical trials uh, by the beginning of the summer. And the, the, the proof of, like they do in technology, I mean, this has worked, and it's worked without uh, adverse side effects in other treatments to, to this exact method. So in principle, you should be able to, to design it, possibly for, for COVID-19. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it'll have to go through the barrage of human testing to make sure that it is safe and that right. it does work. And, and that, of course, takes time. We shouldn't be telling people there's going to be a treatment by the beginning of the summer, but they will begin testing it then, and they'll soon see data after that within a few months, presumably. Work, works for Ebola, too, right? It did work for Ebola. They were able to do exactly the same thing. And what they did was uh, they chose three antibodies to um, that attack that virus. They made them into a cocktail treatment. And that drug was tested along with a few others in the Democratic Republic of Congo, where there's an ongoing outbreak. Uh, it showed that it, fewer people with Ebola died taking that drug than um, other drugs. Uh, so it actually saved lives in that clinical trial. And now um, that drug is up for FDA approval uh, for Ebola. So this has worked. Uh, there's also some news on, on vaccines this morning. Pfizer has announced that it's right. partnering with a German biotech company, BioNTech, um, to develop a messenger RNA-based vaccine. Now, that's the same technology as Moderna's vaccine, uh, which is partnered with the National Institutes of Health. And they also have an incredibly fast timeline for starting human clinical trials. They're saying by the end of April, they hope to be in human clinical trials. That's just about a month behind Moderna's vaccine. Now, of course, this is going to be a year-long at least development process until we get a vaccine. uh, But these timelines are faster than we've ever seen in history for vaccine development. Right. And and the exactly the the difference between a vaccine and a therapeutic with this in a nutshell, what do you, how long do you think it is? Is it a whole year, would you think, uh, delay for a vaccine versus a therapeutic, Meg? Well, it certainly could be because some of the therapeutics that are being tested are already on the market. Um, so Regeneron's uh, rheumatoid arthritis drug, which it announced yesterday at starting clinical trials of, that could potentially treat the most severe patients who have this immune response in their lungs. If that's successful in this trial, which has already begun, that drug's available immediately. So that's why uh, therapeutics could go faster. For new drugs like the one Regeneron's developing with this antibody-based technology, you know, that's also moving faster than the vaccine timelines. I don't know if it'll be a year difference between when it would be available, um, but that is also on an expedited timeline. Hey, Meg, the, the drug's already available, but how quickly could it ramp up to meet global demand if it turns out that it actually works and it is approved? Right. I talked to George Ancopoulos, the chief scientific officer of Regeneron, about this last night. So that drug Kevzara for rheumatoid arthritis, they have the capacity to make this in, in huge quantities. And, you know, I asked him, if this works, this, it would be such a miracle that we'd have a drug to treat COVID-19 right now in the severest patients. Um, he said they could dedicate their entire capacity to making that antibody if they needed to. Um, and that, I asked him, would that affect your ability to manufacture other drugs that people need? And he said, you know, they've got supply of those. Um, So they could uh, transfer the manufacturing capacity if they needed to. He also talked about the possibility of other companies in the industry using their manufacturing capacity to make Regeneron's antibodies if they prove to work. Um, Just 
talking about the kinds of things, you know, we don't often hear about companies working together and using their manufacturing capacity in this way for anything that proves to be successful against this virus. Thank you. Meg, for more on the fight against coronavirus, uh, we want to welcome Michael Ostrom. Uh, He is the director of University of Minnesota's Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy. Uh, Help us this morning. Uh, What are you seeing out there that's that's positive? I'm hoping. Well, I think, yeah, well, first of all, thank you for having me on. Uh, I think the world is finally waking up that we cannot ignore this, whether it be a public health issue, a, uh, a medical issue, or even a business issue. And I'm optimistic that we are now finally having the discussions and taking the actions that we really needed to do to address this. Do you think that we're going to bend the curve? I mean, you look at some of the numbers in Italy, you've looked at some of the numbers in, in South Korea and elsewhere. Where do you think we really stand? Well, I think, first of all, there's a tremendous misconception about bending the curve. Uh, you know, this virus is likely going to be here until we have a vaccine, which I'm, if I were to be optimistic, I'd say 18 months. And every time we try to bend the curve, as you discussed, we're suppressing cases, but all we're doing is postponing those cases. We're not eliminating them. And so I think the challenge is, is how many cases can we suppress or prevent until we get a vaccine? I, I hear this notion that we'll be in it till April and then August. I think we're going to be in this for many, many months, uh, and, and uh, that's, we have to bend the curve every day, not just well, one time. Well, look, the great conundrum is the more you try to bend the curve, the longer this actually is going to take place for, and the more, arguably, hopefully, will help with the human damage, but we will also create economic damage. And so there's going to be this exactly. very complicated, I hate to say that there should even be a balance, because I think that the, the human element is so critical here, and nobody's going to, I think people are going to say whatever it costs, it costs, but uh, that's where we are. I think you, you said it very well. Uh, you know, it, we have to con- continue to consider what it means to die from this virus. It's a very, very difficult and tragic situation, but we also have to have a conversation about how we're going to live with it, and we have to figure that out. Uh, you know, are these kind of measures that we're taking right now, do they work, number one, and number two, do, do we envision America that for the next 18 months will be in complete lockdown? I, I, right now, we just heard the numbers from China. And uh, as soon as China goes back to work and people are back on subways and trains and, and, uh, and all the different forms of, of transportation, and when they're cheek to jowl in manufacturing plants, when they're in public places, I, for one, believe that we're going to see a resurgence of cases so back you, in China. Have we made a mistake then? Not, is, this, is this approach a mistake? I mean, you're, what you're advocating no. it sounds like it's a little bit like what Boris Johnson was doing up until about 48 hours ago. No, I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't try to bend the curve. What I'm saying that is, we're, just as you articulated so well, we have a natural tension here. Postponing cases means that they're just going to happen later, which means that we continue to drag this out. That's the hope. We have to do that. Uh, but we ho- the hope also includes having a vaccine then that one day will get us out. Otherwise, eventually, you know, the 20 to 60 percent of Americans that, we're, that we believe will get this will get this. Right. And so our hope is that we suppress it, but uh, we will only be saved, really, when we have a vaccine. Hey, Michael, I get your point, and I agree with you 100 percent. I understand about trying to bend the curve. But if you're right, and if this lasts for 18 months, and every time anybody leaves and goes back to school, goes back to home, or back to work after that, Um, you almost start to think that you're better off getting sick earlier rather than later before you've seen the healthcare system overrun while there's still, you know, ventilators around, while there's still beds around. You know, you asked me at the top of this interview, you know, what's the good news? Just the very fact that you just said that, that's good news. We're starting to think about this in a much more realistic way. 
It's not knee-jerk. It's not pie in the sky. It's not, uh, oh, we're all going to die. And it's not also, it's not a problem. This is hard. This is really hard. But we can get through this. But we're going to have to have the very discussion that you just articulated so well. We have to learn to both how we're going to die with this virus, but also how we're going to live with it. And that's, to me, the most important message today. Michael, we appreciate uh, you joining us uh, this morning. Please stay safe out there. Thank Thank you. Next on Squawk Pod, Reddit's co-founder on Tech's role in curbing misinformation during a crisis. This event forces the hand of all these social media companies to say that, like, yes, we can actually editorialize. And, you know, when it's the public good at stake, I think it's absolutely the right decision. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/activecash. Stand by Joe in three, two, one. His mic. Here. Good morning. I'm Joe Kernan along with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin. We're together in spirit, uh, but we are now coming to you from separate uh, locations. Casa Kernan, Casa Quick, and Casa Nasdaq, uh, with, uh, which is now Casa Andrew, <laughs> at least uh, for, for the time being. Talking about social distancing uh, in this time of social distancing, one tech entrepreneur is shouting from the rooftops, literally, uh, that staying home saves lives. Joining us right now is Reddit and initialized co-founder Alexis Ohanian. He bought billboards in Times Square urging people to self-isolate. 100,000 uh, person conference canceled, saves 200 lives. Alexis, thank you uh, for joining us this morning. Uh, when did you get this idea to do this and where did it come from? Uh, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time, whether it was co-founding Reddit um, or even just, just spent a lot of time on social media. And one of the things I've found is that out-of-home advertising not only works in the physical locations where you're advertising, um, but it also can generate quite a story. It's like the one ad format that can go viral. And so I don't know, it was probably uh, probably just up one night and it popped in my head. How many days ago? Twitter. No, just a few days ago. We, we turned it around pretty quick. I was pretty proud of the initialized team to get it all up. Probably what, what's a billboard in Times Square go for these days? Uh, <laughs> it's, you know, it's actually surprisingly reasonable, all things considered. You, you, want, big, you want to help us in case I may want to buy a billboard? I'm just asking as a friend. I, it, it, it totally varies based on location, but I, it ranges from anywhere in the thousands to hundreds of thousands. So uh, how about, how about Times Square if I were to buy one? 
Uh, it, uh, it genuinely depends. You okay. have to go on. You have to go on ad quick. Um, you, you're you're being politic. We'll leave it alone. Let me ask you a different question, which is uh, about yeah. millennials and, and so many of the young people out there. Some of them taking it very seriously, but so many not. Uh, I'm looking at a tweet right now. The coronavirus made uh, made flights so cheap. I think it's finally time to start traveling. I'm here for yeah. a good time, not a long time. So, what, what do you make of that? And, and you you see that all over social media right now. Yeah, it's frustrating. Look, I think the uh, that sort of apathy towards coronavirus is not it's not just millennials. I think across the board, um, a large percentage of folks have have not taken it seriously. I think in in large part because they're not appreciating the fact that you can not display symptoms and still be carrying it and and you could, you know, get it but still recover if you are healthy. And I think the charge for all of us as Americans right now is to decide that the greater good, the, the people in our society, specifically the elderly and those with health conditions, um, weakened immune systems, you know, they are a priority right now. And it's incumbent on us to, like, not go to war, uh, but really just go to our sofas uh, but, and, and but Alex, stay home. But Alexis, reasonable. I'm sorry. Here, here's yeah. the question, which is, how do you do it? Uh, and the reason I say, how do you do it, is, you know, I, I constantly am being told, don't panic people. Don't panic viewers. Mm-hmm. Don't panic anybody. Um, frankly, if I'm being honest about it, I wish that we had panicked people more and earlier. Mm-hmm. With exponential growth, that is usually actually the best bet. You, you would rather do more earlier uh, to try to stave off that kind of growth uh, versus doing less and then wondering how much more you could have done. Uh, and so, look, I think this is, this is now uh, an effort that all of us are, are required to participate right. in. And, and I want to see, I mean, we're seeing more people talking about supporting their local small businesses with gift certificates. Uh, things like that are going to be vital because we've got a lot of folks right. who are going to be severely economically affected by this. And, you know, frankly, a guy like Andrew Yang's uh, $1,000 a month proposition doesn't seem so unreasonable right now at a time when I think even just some small direct cash infusion right. would make a huge difference on a lot of American lives in the next six months. Alexis, finally, what do you make of the misinformation that does seem to be spreading on social media? Uh, Facebook has tried to tamp down on it. It's actually become a unique and interesting issue insofar as that, at least uh, up until now, uh, Facebook's policy has been not uh, to to try to uh, tamp down on some of this misinformation. Mm -hmm. On this, they say they will. I don't know if you think this is going to change the dynamic when it comes to politics and everything else in the future as well. But what do you think that social media companies should be doing? Well, I think it sets a really good precedent that actually just earlier today, all the major companies, uh, all the major social media companies, including Reddit, uh, announced uh, steps and actions they're taking to prevent the spread of misinformation about coronavirus. And I think there are going to be new procedures in place as a result of this, because this event forces the hand of all these social media companies to say that, like, yes, we can actually editorialize. And, you know, when it's the public good at stake, I think it's absolutely the right decision. And, and you know, for okay. what's worth, there are also companies that are finding opportunities, and I think that's the thing that's, that's very heartening to me. Um, we see so many companies across the board that are looking for ways to pivot and try to turn their resources and their expertise to help. Um, a food kit company, Gobble, is, is making semi-prepped meals very, very accessible now to as many people across the country as they can because going out to, to have a nice meal isn't viable, and with more people at home preparing their own food, you know, these right. sorts of things are going to become much more important, not just for families, 
um, but for folks who are living alone right. and, and are among those who would be most affected. So, Alexis, thank you for uh, calling in. Sure. A little bit of good news here. Actor Tom Hanks and his wife, Rita Wilson, have been released from an Australian hospital this after being treated for the coronavirus. The couple are now in self-quarantine in a rented home in Queensland. Um, and we should also say that actor uh, Idris Elba um, revealed on Twitter that he has tested positive for COVID-19. He said he had no symptoms, but he found out that he had exposure to someone who had tested positive. He has now gone into uh, self-quarantine himself. Becky, over to you. Hmm, that's interesting. No symptoms and testing positive. That's the scary yep. thing, trying to figure that stuff out. Hey, just in this vein of good news, last night Stop and Shop uh, put out a note saying that its corporate offices or all of its locations for Stop and Shop would be opening starting Thursday between the hours of 6 and 7.30 a.m., just for people over the age of 60, yeah. so that those who are most vulnerable can shop with fewer crowds, feel a little safer. It'll also be first ones that? in in the morning after they've it's cleaned the stores overnight. Stop and Shop. Well, yeah, all over the place. Oh, and no, I don't I know about you, but, but there are... Yeah, I can, uh, I can go get some more toilet paper. Uh, if I, uh, they, they, I guess they'd have to let me <laughs> in. Joey tweeted that out last night. When, when you, Decky, you, when you said that, you go, oh, that's even scarier. You have no symptoms. Uh, no, I want to, if I get it, no, I want to get it and have no symptoms. Right. I, I know. I, I want to get it and but have you no know symptoms, what I'm saying. but what scares that, me is the idea of being in, transmitting it to people without realizing. If you show no, up I know. Uh, with I, elderly I know, but people, you know what I mean. you show if up you can, and you hang if out you with people get, who have a com compromised immune system. You heard Andrew yesterday, the 40-year-old person that's like yeah. in a coma. I mean, if I could get it and have no symptoms, it's like yeah. bring it on. But I, not, I mean, I don't want it, obviously, but that would be a much... Uh, you know, the, the worry could, is that we don't understand like that, the young people that that there are these outliers that have no underlying health condition. And, and right. it, it's really scary that if it happens to move down into your lungs, it can be much worse than uh, than what we're, right. we're hearing, where 80, 90 percent of people don't even require hospitalization. So, you know, I I, right. I love the Drusselba. Uh, I think he's awesome. And I, I, I was glad to see that. Yes. But you're right. Then you're just walking around and you don't know who you're, you know, right. who well, you're infecting. Look, the, I guess the good news is if you could see a lot of people that didn't display symptoms, that's fantastic if you can get to the point where you have enough testing where everybody can get tested and then they know to self-quarantine for a couple of weeks. Right. That, that would be the ideal situation, these, but we're, we're a ways from there yet. These anecdotal uh, tests of, of these, uh, your drug, uh, Sorkin, that you mentioned and, and the Gilead drug, Remset, whatever, however you pronounce right. it, but these are, these are going breakneck quickly yep. and uh, people are starting to say the, the, the possible treatment is going to be long before the... We can only hope. Um, you know, we can only hope. Vaccine, but how great would that be? If the, if, and if it, we look, had, that would be the know, game changer. If we knew that, the, if you knew yeah. there was a drug, not not something that was a vaccine, but a drug that you could take once you had it, I, it would change the health picture. It would change the economic picture. It would change everything. That's the show for today. On our rundown tomorrow, Squawk's coverage of the coronavirus pandemic continues. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern, even or especially during self-isolation. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. 
like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.